0: No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
1: Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan.
2: All
1: right,
2: here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining.
3: They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. Oh, that's a long
0: worries. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh, they did it. A miracle. That's it.
4: the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog.
5: What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson and Mike Randall. What's going on, gentlemen? Getting stronger down the stretch, not
3: fading like Marquette. Another day goes by and I love Creighton more and more. In a year, in a year, that's as crazy as this year, is it possible a team that is so poor
5: at rebounding could possibly make a run to the final four? Why not? Yeah, well, speaking of that, we're going to talk about futures. Um, I actually added a future today. Uh, We'll talk about that. Uh, We'll talk with Mike Calabrese. I spoke with him earlier in the day, a college basketball analyst here, specializes in smaller conferences. I'm going to talk with him Uh, about the Big South, the Big West, and the Patriot League. Not only some spots potentially this weekend, but who the favorite is in each conference and whether or not they can cause some potential trouble in March. And of course, as always, we'll talk about Friday Night Lights and uh, some Saturday spots that we have circled. But before we get into it, let's uh, talk about the week that was. uh, Things that you are pleased with mad at, want to rant about, yell at, or just observations from the week, Randall, I'll start with you.
1: This season, it feels like every team sucks. So who enters Struggle City this week? And who's moving out?
0: Moving out.
3: Well, Colin, I tip my hat to you, my friend, uh, on last night. I mean, Mississippi State, up eleven. With a minute twenty-six left at home. All of a sudden, Reggie Perry can't get the ball in bounds three consecutive times. Collin gets the cover there at five and a half. Immensely frustrating. South Carolina team, Kuzinar, the freshman who's been their leading scorer, got foul trouble right away. McCreary was out. Minai is out. This was a game that could guys end up determining if somebody gets in the tournament because both teams are pretty much bubble teams. Coming into the game, you had South Carolina, who was You know, the next four out in Mississippi State was like the first four out, but incredibly frustrating. Thought I had that one in the bag. Up 11 at home, minute 26 left. I think we got to get that one home, Mississippi State.
4: One of the fortunate ones. It's amazing. Uh, most of them have been more one-point losses against the spread. But, uh, yeah, definitely take that one. I think for me, Ao returning, uh, you know, for Illinois, uh, I'm mad at myself. This isn't a rant against that. It's a rant against myself for not stepping up and taking them against Penn State. I wanted to see how healthy it was, see if he was okay. Obviously, he's Superman. He had his cape on. He went crazy against Penn State and snapped their eight-game winning streak uh, while Illinois was on the road. Illinois is the best offensive and defensive Rebounding team and a stacked Big Ten. They've got Nebraska and Northwestern on deck. Stuck said that he made a futures play. I made a futures play. There's a there's a shop out in Vegas right now hanging 125 to one on the Illini, and now was the time to fire with this soft part of the schedule before we get into the conference tournament.
3: Yeah, you know what's so great, guys, with the futures market is because the it's so so much parity across the board. You can get future odds right now, like Kansas is seven to one, Gonzaga is eight to one, Duke's nine to one, although I don't like them as much. So basically, the parity is just causing us now to have odds across the board that are really attractive. Penn State's thirty to one if you like them, and San Diego mm-hmm. State say what you want, guys, eighteen to one for a team that has a really solid point guard and they could be getting to back hopefully pretty soon. So there's a lot of value in the future market because there's really no standout dominant team.
5: Yeah, I mean, look, Illinois, I, I don't hate it. I mean, I, I'm afraid they're going to run into a zone, and I think that you can zone them, and they're vulnerable against the zone. But look, you have a guy in Coburn, Coburn inside where if he can stay out of foul trouble, uh, look, he's just a mismatch against anyone. He's going to play at the next level, and then Desunmu as well. He'll play at the next level. He's just a guy that's going to get you a bucket. You saw it in the Penn State game when you really need one, can take over a game, get his own shot. If, they, if Georgie's having a bad year, but if they can get something from him also inside, he has potential. Um, you know, they have some wing players, and they'll play outstanding perimeter defense. So I don't hate it. Any any thoughts on Illinois, Randall?
3: Yeah, they're a different team now, guys. That was a huge win. I mean, Penn State had, had been great at home and dominant at home. It's a key, Stuck. You talked about Kansas, and you said the key is how quickly Azabuki is going to pick up two. I think the same is true with Coburn. They don't usually make threes. If they do, they're deadly. But the three things I look for here is solid guard play, which they have, some big wins on the road throughout the season. They have those as well, and a solid coach, which they have in, in, in Brad Underwood. So, yeah, I think they have everything that you would want. And again, you're looking for a team that can get hot. People cooled on them because DeSumo was injured. They lost a couple games in a row, but we talked about it. All teams lose two, three games in a row. But that was a huge win at Penn State. And there's value there because I don't think the market has really accepted Illinois as the team moving forward. They almost have like a reverse Michigan State, right? People are still believing in Michigan State no matter what happens to them. People are still hesitant with Illinois, they're just not buying it yet. So I, I absolutely think there's value there. I think
4: I want to say from a futures perspective, though, like, Stuck, you're right. We, what happens when they run into a zone? What happens when Creighton faces a team that can defend the perimeter? What happens when Gonzaga faces a team that actually has some size and some beef to do some rebounding and keep them from scoring? I, I think right now what you have to do is you have to assess not only who's going to make the tournament, but who has a great shot to make it to the to the next round or to the Sweet 16. And are those numbers big enough to where you're going to be able to hedge or get off? Because really, it's all going to be matchups. I mean, I can't wait for our podcast to come out the, after the bracket have been determined because we're going to be able to sit there and say, so-and-so has a path because nobody's going to be able to stop
3: what they do. Let me ask you a question, guys, less stuck, I know what you're going to say about this. I'm laughing already. Oregon. They have the guard play, they have the coach. We understand there's limitations, but right now they're 50 to one. I know they have to beat somebody on the road. They beat Michigan earlier in the year in a couple neutral wins, but they have not won on the conference in the road, and tonight they're playing Arizona State. But assuming that they get healthy, I mean 50 to one for a team, would it be crazy to say they make the elite eight? And at that point, I mean, we're playing with house money. I don't know. What do you think about Oregon at 50-1? to
5: Well, my problem with Oregon here, and I'll get into my future that I I placed. I've had a really bad week. A lot of bad calls, which is nice and it's terrible, but it's nice in a way where you can just say, all right, look, I was off here, I was off there. Some bad three-point variance. That's going to happen. I still still can't get over Villanova was 17 of 24 from three at one point. I thought it was their free throw stats. But... Texas, I mean, Will Baker, what's he just starts raining threes, and the Texas backups are raining threes. That was frustrating. And then Baylor just continues to take my money. Uh, I don't know. How, that team just has robbed me blind all year long, and I have to hand it to them. Uh, they're just a really in sync, playing well together. And uh, in my power ratings right now, I have them up to number three. Uh, they passed Duke, and I think that was one of the biggest storylines of the week, which was Duke getting absolutely trucked. I think the first time, they lost by 20-plus being ranked in the top 10 in like 40-plus years. So we'll get to Duke and the ACC and what's potentially wrong with Duke, if there is anything, in a pretty watered-down ACC this year. Uh, But to get back to your Oregon, I mean, I just don't trust their defense. Look, they're 74th in adjusted defensive efficiency. Now, if you go back to all of the national champions since 2002, when Ken Palm started keeping his data – if you go back and you have to look at pre-tournament, a lot of people say, look, you got to be top 20 in offensive and defensive efficiency. If you look at the na- national champions, well, a lot of times the national champion is going to be in the top 20 of both because they won six games in the tournament and they're going to skyrocket up. But if you're trying to find someone, you know, some type of criteria, you got to look at where teams were ranked prior to the tournament. And if you look at all the, all the national champions from 2002 to present 18 national champions if you take their adjusted offensive and adjusted defensive efficiency, and you don't have to be in the top 20 in both. Now, almost, I believe every single one with the exception of one was ranked in the top 20 of one or the other. And the exception was UConn in 2011 when they beat Butler. And that was with Kemba. And they were 21st in offensive efficiency, 27th in defensive efficiency. Not far off. But if you add them together, you pretty much can't be over 50. That's a, a pretty good rule of thumb. And out of those 18, there's only one exception, and it was UConn in 2014. Every single other team, if you add them up, combine their offensive and defensive efficiency, is, was less than 50. The average combined, 25. And Oregon is sitting at 74 so I know they have Pritchard. I know they have Dana Albin. who's going to switch. He's going to be switching his defenses all game. It's a tough team to prepare for in a tournament setting, especially in that second game of the weekend. You know, and Pritchard, Pritchard's great. I just don't trust their defense. The team that I do trust, and I bought at 35-1 to today, is the team that Oregon is going to be playing this weekend, and that's Arizona. Uh-huh. Who's Look, we've talked about some of their issues in the past. They've had some questionable losses. But this is a team, they are extremely young, but this is a team – that is top 25 in both offensive and defensive efficiency, 16th in offense, 25th in defense. But what I like about them is, you know, about a month ago, everyone said, look, they can't win on the road. They can't win on the road. They're too young. Well, they've won four straight on the road. They beat Washington, Washington State, California, and Stanford. Look, none of those teams are going to the final four, but they've showed that they can win on the road. And this is a team that I think is only going to keep getting better and better. I mean, they have three potential first-round draft picks on the team. They have a couple uh, of transfers, too. I mean, this this team is extremely deep, but they have a couple of transfers that I like. You know, Max Hazard, speaking of UC Irvine, who can come in and make some threes. You know, you have Chase Jeter, who, you know, hasn't played and he's been hurt, but he can maybe come in. You know, and then you have the kid, Dylan Smith. You know, when he's making threes, they're even more dangerous. The UNC Asheville transfer. And then that's to go along with all the size they have inside and three potential first brown NBA draft picks. This is a team that's not experienced, really put together, but it's one of the longest teams in the country, one of the most talented. And I think they're only going to get better. I think they beat Oregon. They get revenge against Oregon on Saturday. And that price is only going to drop. You know, if this, this team is, I think one of those teams that's just going to be on an upswing the entire year because of how young they are, but they're starting to figure out how to win. Uh, I believe they were rolled Oregon state tonight. You know, it was at home, but it's just a, another win. I think they beat Oregon. You know, they're going to be at USC, at UCLA. Then they're home against Washington and Washington State to close out the year. There's a shot that they could run the table. I just love the upside of this Arizona team. If it all comes together, they're as good as anyone in the country. I was a little iffy about it. Randall, I know you were, and I don't know if you still are, about a month ago. But after digging into it, look, I currently have them ninth in my power ratings They fit all of the criteria. Are you still not a believer in Arizona, Randall? No, I think you made some good
3: points. What what you can't do this year and what I'm really trying to focus on, and listen, we are, what, one month away from the the first round, the tip-off on Thursday here, going, going up in one month. But you have to look at teams that can get hot and not necessarily have take lock. I don't think they've played well, but everything you said is completely correct. They are deep. They are certainly well-coached. They have a style. They have young players who are getting ready. Even a guy like Jamal Baker comes off the bench. He can hit three threes, things like that. They have the the profile of a team that can get hot in the tournament that everyone will look around and say, well, how's that possible? They haven't beaten anyone, but the four wins on the road are legit, even if it's against substandard competition. Exactly. Still conference road wins. It's still conference road wins, which taking care of business is not easy this year in college basketball. So, yes, they have the profile of a team that absolutely could get hot for six games that's kind of flown out of the radar. I mean, put it this way, who are you guys looking at, you know, who's dominated this year? Kansas has certainly played very, very well. But outside of that, Duke showed warts. They got waxed against North Carolina State. So this could be the year that a team like in Arizona who has those first-round draft picks, who's very talented, that has a solid guard, that is well-coached, and now is starting to win on the road. The big three things there could get hot. I'm warming to them. Absolutely.
5: Yeah. And, and, and even runner, if you look at runner-ups in, the, in of the national championship since 2002, none of them have had a defensive efficiency worse than 69th, which was Butler. Uh, in that UConn game. All the UConn games are the anomalies, if you look that uh, both UConn national championships. And then the average defensive efficiency rank of the runner-up, 17th. And this is pre-tournament. You know, combined average about 36. So I just don't trust the Oregon defense. And, you know, of the teams, you know, so I said, a combined offensive and defensive efficiency pre-tournament, now that can change a little bit. Who are those teams right now? Well, Florida State is right on the fringe. They're at 53rd. Now, and I think a caveat, too, is are you at – 50 or below, or do you have a lottery pick who can just take over games? And that's, you know, UConn, with, with their run, they weren't the best team in the country. But that's kind of the the wild card here. Look, Villanova, I don't think their defense is good enough. They're, I think, 66th in adjusted defensive efficiency. But you could argue they have a lot a potential lottery pick in Sadiq Bay. You know, Kentucky is at 82 overall, but they're on the upswing. They have three potential first-round draft picks. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an interesting team to watch. But let me mention the teams first. Houston is at 44. Michigan is at forty-one. Michigan State is at thirty-three. Seton Hall is right is at fifty-two, I think. But with I think that you can throw them in, especially with Pal. Penn State is at forty-nine. Ohio State thirty-three. This is all before tonight. Arizona forty-one. Maryland thirty-seven. Louisville forty-seven. San Diego State thirteen. Duke eighteen. Baylor twenty-six. Gonzaga thirty-seven. Kansas twelve. Uh, and then Dayton, who has a lottery pick in, in Obi, and and they're at fifty-four. You know their their defense is a little eh at times, and they can be vulnerable on the boards. But I think that you can throw them in the discussion. The thing with Creighton is they're similar t- to Oregon, and I mean Creighton's seventy-first in defensive efficiency. And uh, you know, look if you want to go down to your Illini, their offense needs to get better. Colin, they're at forty-seventh. But you know, with Coburn and I think with Dasunmu, there's. There's a lot of potential there. A- any thoughts on anything I say? Con, I'll let you jump in before going to Randall.
4: I took Arizona right after they lost to Arizona State. I thought it was a perfect time to buy them. They were at similar number. I got them at 36 to one. So I think this may be last call for alcohol on uh, the Arizona Wildcats bandwagon, especially if they beat Oregon. And I absolutely think they can because Oregon's terrible on the boards. They're one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the nation. We talked about Arizona's length. And the thing that Oregon really excels at is taking the ball away from you. Their steal percentage, they're top 20 in the nation. And Arizona only gives the ball up offensive steal percentage rank third in the nation. So Oregon's not going to be able to get the ball from Arizona. And I think once that victory happens against the Ducks, there's going to be a lot of Wildcats Arizona
5: love in the the market. And I think now is the perfect time to buy them. If Oregon gets trucked here, they're down 11 at the half. Might take away some of the value on Arizona. On Saturday, it's the spot I have circled. Uh, Arizona should have won at Oregon. It was one of the many Oregon overtime wins. Oregon ended up winning by one in overtime. National championship picture summary. Any final thoughts, Randall?
3: Yeah, I mean, the team that I keep staring at, that I just want to see step up and start putting teams away is Colorado. Colorado has the makeup that you talked about and would have, it right now coming into tonight, 40th in adjusted offense, 13th in adjusted defense. They do rebound. They're 20th in the nation, shooting three-pointers, 37%. They just have had some odd performances. They blow the game at home to the big pillow of the Pac-12, Oregon State. Made no sense whatsoever, but They have McKinley Wright. He's a shot maker. They beat Dayton. They have some wins there that make you really scratch your head and say, hey, listen, this team could go far. They just don't have the sex appeal, I would say. And the one that I'm still hanging my hat on, we'll probably get into it in Saturday spots. Listen, do I think they can win the national title? No, but I really want to see this BYU team. They're so good offensively. Their defense is 70th, so probably not going to be in that realm that you're going to need for the metric that you talked about. But they can shoot threes. They can definitely make a final four. So the team for a national title, title future. How about Colorado? I mean, they have everything that you, you would want. There's no real weakness there, but they just don't have that impressive sort of, you know, Colorado is going to win the national title appeal.
5: Yeah. And away from home. Yeah. I, I want to see just a little bit more, but the roster is there for sure. Um, and, and the same with Kentucky and if Kentucky's making shots, um, they're really dangerous, and that's the biggest question, but like BYU they're you know they're outside the top seventy I, and I, I these a bunch of these teams I kind of group together Oregon, BYU, you know Iowa, um, you know Villanova, these are teams with elite offenses. I believe they're all top ten in adjusted offensive efficiency if they're outside the top seventy. What happens in the tournament in defense? what happens in the tournament is if you can't get stops, and you have a, just an off night offensively, not, not only does that leave you vulnerable in the first couple rounds, but it's tough to go through six tough games. Because what happens is you, when you see these upsets early on in a tournament, it's when you're playing – it doesn't matter how good your offense is. If you can't get stops against one of these mid, you know, really good mid-majors and you let them hang around, right? And Because a lot of times if you, these elite teams that have great defenses – what will happen is not only are they more talented in some, in most cases, but they'll just they'll go on these extended runs, right? So you'll have this big drought, and all of a sudden they go from a two to three point game to up nine or ten, and then that cushion is what can get you through uh, a potential scare. But if the other team is getting hot, they're getting confident, the crowd turns against you, you start getting tight, and just that—that's just a recipe for a potential upset and for what I think has prevented teams with these subpar defenses from ever winning six games in a row. Now, you could there's there's been teams that are close, um, that have gotten close, that have gotten to the Final Four, Auburn last year. But that, to win six games in the tournament, you need to get stops at some point because your offense isn't going to be humming. Everything tightens up a little bit in the tournament, and I think ultimately – that's what will decide who's going to make it to the national championship. So I think, so of those like 15 ish teams that I mentioned, um, you know, and things can change. You can have a team that all of a sudden it starts to figure it out defensively. There's, we still have a couple weeks left, uh, you know, almost a month left before the tournament. So, but that's just kind of the pulse uh, of the top 25 as and of I, now. Something yeah. I like
3: to look at too is I, I think that to get, to avoid that early round upset it helps if you have a quality big I say it all the time North Carolina didn't suffer early round upsets like Duke did because they always had Tyler Hansborough or Tyler Zeller somebody inside who you can hang your hat on that big inside really helps to get you away from the first round upset but then when you get to the later rounds it's not as important you can hit the three you get hot that's why to me if Creighton can get out of that first round they're a very dangerous second weekend team but they're also very susceptible Early because they don't rebound and they have a lack of size inside.
5: I, yeah, I think that no is, one's going to want to play great, and I'll just tell you that. I don't know. Like they, they, I don't think that they can win at all. But th- no one's going to want to play that offense because when it's on, ooh, it's a pretty thing to watch. I think the team that we're really not talking
4: about enough and the problem is, is that they're, you're never going to get a good number on them. And, you know, everybody knows this team. It's a brand name and it is Kentucky. We talked about their defensive rating yep. but by the end of the season. This can be completely flipped. And the thing that everything that we've mentioned on this podcast about what is it you want to have during the tournament. They have it. If you haven't watched Ashton Higgins go from the three-point line and dice up the paint and get to the rim, it's one of the quickest things I've ever seen in the world. Now, don't know what his injury is. I'm sure he's fine. He had ice on his leg the other night. I'm sure he's great. But one thing that I love to back when I'm looking for a team when the brackets come out, I'm thinking to myself – Who has great guard play, who has that one big, and who hits their free throws. Free throws are extremely important when you want to look and see who's advanced. Well, sure enough, Kentucky's sitting here with a three-point, with a with a free throw distribution of third in the country. That is amazing how many free throws they get. They get to the line all the time. And they're sixth in the country in free throw percentage. They're hitting 78.8%. That's insane. So they have great guard play with Ashton Hagens, probably one of the more underrated players that's not being talked about, uh, you know, from a national perspective. They have Nick Richards, who's the 6'11 big that, you know, is just, ever since he's turned up his play, they're, you know, they've only lost to Auburn and South Carolina since the year turned over to 2020. The remaining schedule, I mean, we're talking Texas A&M, we're talking Tennessee at home. Uh, You know, they might drop Florida on the road, but they might not matter to them because they're going to sweep the SEC tournament and they're going to get in with a, a pretty high seed and they've got everything you could need. But I just love the amount of times that they get to the free throw line and how they've been taking advantage of it with that free throw percentage.
3: You know, I put a tweet out earlier this year on Kentucky. It was in their elite eight years or better under Calipari, their three-point percentage, 33, 39, 37, 33, 35, all around there. This year, when I put it out on January 22nd, it was 31.6. Lo and behold, right now, they're up to 32.7, and in SEC play, they're already at thirty five point six, which is second best in the conference. So you got you nailed it, Colin. They got everything. Again, they're getting better every year as it goes on. That's the magic of Calipari. Every year, they're better at the end of the year.
5: Yeah, and I think that a couple of other teams that I want to mention, um, Louisville looks like they figured it out uh, against Syracuse, and you know they went through a little skid. I still think that they're a real contender. That's a future that I have um, along with Seton Hall from the preseason. And uh, Maryland, look, Maryland was, can they win on the road? I mean, they are really coming on with, they've had some close, close wins, you know, Indiana and comeback wins against Michigan State. But everything in that Sparty game set up for Sparty to win that game. And then Sparty had that huge run and took the lead. And then it was Maryland who just took the blow and then punched back and got that win. This Maryland team, uh, look, I'm not the biggest fan of Turgeon. Um, but with that inside-out combo, uh, they're real, and uh, their role players look like they're playing better and better. Uh, I, I think Maryland is a legitimate Final Four threat. Any thoughts on the Terps?
3: Yeah, they got. I mean, they have Cowan. That's the big, the big idea, and Jalen Smith has been a double-double machine. The question is Terjean. But folks, they have. They've they've shown me enough that comeback against Michigan State. They should have been dead and buried. They should not have had a counterpunch. You know, they got knocked down, and that was going to be it. Here goes Michigan State riding off to the sunset. But they come back. They score what the lake said the last 11 points of the game. Cowan makes big-time shots. He beat Illinois in that first game from from the logo. So, yeah, they're, start, they're starting to have what it takes and putting it together.
4: I think we should reassess this question on next week's pod after they get Ohio State and Minnesota both road games to see how they're standing a week from now.
5: Yeah, it's uh, a Minnesota hard loss to – to Indiana, who kept their tournament hopes alive. Providence, probably the biggest winner of the week with a win at Georgetown and with a lot of bubble teams going down. Um, But uh, we'll have much more talk on futures and, obviously, the lay of the land. In the upcoming episodes, uh, before we get to the weekend, getting back to Duke, look, they got three potential first-round draft picks. They're as talented as anyone in the country They're top 15 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. But the ACC is really watered down, right? They should have lost to Carolina. They get their doors blown off by NC State. I still think Louisville is the best team in the ACC. But, you know, I still have Duke rated a little bit higher than them. But I think as far as potential ceiling and just the the variance in what Duke and their half court offense, if they're not getting out in transition, it's just something's off. Their defense is comes and goes, especially in the interior where it should be better. And, and it's, and, and again, the ACC is so down that it's, it's, you're not, you're not that guy you're not getting tested as you usually are, you know, in, in years prior blue devils. Are you just ignoring that result against NC state or is it a sign of your classic Duke team? That's going to be, Maybe a 2C that could be on upset alert early despite all the talent. Randall, thoughts?
3: No, there's been enough. I mean, Stephen F. Austin at home should have told us something. I mean, that, that's a horrific loss. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Then the Clemson-Louisville back-to-back. Now NC State. At this point last year, guys, I mean, they were beating Virginia by 10, right? I mean, that's what we were, this, is, this was a Duke team that was getting healthy. They ended up playing Virginia Tech, what, on the road. And uh, they didn't have Zion, but they almost won that game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think K- Coach K's doing a better job this year. Last year, I think he just rode those three guys and there were some issues down the stretch that I think showed themselves. Again, Carey, assuming he doesn't get in foul trouble, is going to eliminate the early round upset because there's not going to be, you know, smaller schools can't match up with him. But no, am I picking Duke right now to win it all? Absolutely not. I've seen enough concern. That loss at Clemson coming off the break, bizarre to me. That was just a bizarro loss. They, they've had some odd things that I'm starting to doubt if they can put six games together.
4: Let's look at this from a historical perspective. Am I surprised that Duke lost to NC State? No. They've lost six of the last eight games dating back to 2010. So it's just something that they do. But from a historical perspective, Duke's 22-point loss is the largest in Coach K's four-decade career at Duke wow. to an unranked team. That's the biggest loss ever. There, I mean, there's smoke there's fire. Sign me up for that second round defeat. Give me some sort of plus five fifty dog. Let's go. Let's take it to the window,
3: guys. How fast will that handshake be if they get knocked out in the first two rounds? <laughs> oh my god. Oh my I'm god. Santa Monica Track Club, man. When he loses, when he when he wins, it's the double handshake and the chest pound. You know, with the offhand. I mean, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Colin. it's not fran right fran told everybody just to f off we're not (laughs) even (laughs) fran keeps it 100 at least You you
0: know i'm a very passionate person everybody in this room knows and understands that
5: and we live in a very competitive environment duke is ripe um now they're really talented would it surprise me with the final four no but i think it's it's uh and it's there's gonna be like a lot of these teams it's but this is not an invincible duke and uh Yeah, I'm going to be looking for the right spot to fade them because it's Duke and you're probably going to get an extra point or two come tournament time.
1: From the Southern to the Summit League, the MEAC and the Missouri Valley, there are over 350 Division I programs. So let's get acquainted. This is Conference Confidential.
5: All right. Joining me now is a Action Network college basketball analyst and contributor, Mike Calabrese. Did I say that right? Calabrese, Calabrese, Whenever you're feeling, if you want to Italian it up a little bit. My last name is I'm Italian as well, but it's like when people order a uh, Caprice salad and you know that they're not Italian. But what's going on?
2: I'm just, you know, living the dream. Conference tournament weeks, you know, what, three weeks away. Finally getting the full attention that college basketball deserves now that football season's over. I can't complain. We made it through the lean times.
5: Yeah, if March is one of my, if not favorite, months of the entire year. I can't wait for conference tournaments. We're going to talk about three smaller conferences in particular, the Patriot League, the Big South, and the Big West. We'll talk about you know who the favorite is, if they can potentially make some noise in March if there's any spots you like in these conferences this upcoming weekend, and then any potential sleepers that could sneak up and win the conference tournament, uh, we'll have, maybe we'll have you on for a few, Mike, we'll have specific conference tournament preview mini episodes for each conference tournament where we'll talk about futures value, but we're getting ahead start and talking about these conferences throughout the year. And, you know, it helps, On an ongoing basis, from a betting perspective, before we get into some of these conferences, where are you from, where did you go to school, and how did you get into some of the, uh, you know, following some of the smaller conferences in college basketball?
2: So I grew up in Philadelphia, moved out to the Philly suburbs, went to Malvern Prep, and then ended up at the University of Missouri my freshman year and then transferred back east to Loyola, Maryland. And really, you know, my, my love of sports started in high school, but when I started covering it at Loyola as a sports editor and then writing for different outlets, it really gave me a little bit of insight for, you know, small-time college basketball. And this is still kind of the era where information was fragmented everywhere. It was kind of a Wild West. So you could really, you know, get a leg up and find an advantage over the oddsmakers if you put in, you know, hard work and due diligence to, to be able to really look at some of these teams. And now with the advent of ESPN+, Plus, You know, you can actually watch the majority of these games, the streaming networks, uh, the Patriot League, you know, will do things on their own streaming network. They'll do stuff on Facebook Live. So if you put in the work, you can you can really get a leg up. And I I think that's kind of the basis of how I became. I I wouldn't call myself a sharp, but certainly more than a hobbyist as it comes to uh, mid-major basketball.
5: Yeah, and keeping up, sometimes I think the market doesn't react to injuries and, and personnel news, which we'll get to with your Greyhounds and, and Loyola here shortly. And, and there's some other examples that we'll touch on as well with a lot of these smaller conferences. And it's a small world because I used to live, before I moved down to Lexington, Kentucky, I used to live within walking distance to Malvern Prep after I graduated college for a little bit of time and lived at Eastside Flats in Malvern for a little bit of time. So, I know your area very, very well. But let's uh, start with the Patriot League. And for those curious, the higher seed hosts every game in the Patriot League tournament. It used to not be that way, but that's how it is now. Colgate is clearly the favorite. You have uh, Ivanovskis who I think is their best player, but Burns at the point guard. Will Raymond on the outside who can shoot. They move the ball extremely well. They survived a scare last night from Lehigh at home, a team that they beat by 30. Earlier in the season, and if you recall, this Colgate team last year played Tennessee in the first round of the NCAA tournament, and they came back and got us, got me, and I'm assuming a lot of you a cover. And Burns went nuts. They hit a ton of threes, and they did it without their best player Ivanowskis, in the second half, who didn't come back with an eye injury, and he did nothing in the first half. So, it's, yeah, it's a really experienced team. They have zero bench, but they can shoot. They move the ball well. They play really well together. And then I think, you know, some of the other contenders, you know, you have Boston with uh, Max Mahoney, and that, the Terriers crashed the glass as well as anyone in the conference. You know, you have Bucknell with the household name. They have a really good defense this year, but just absolutely no offense. American will always be interesting with Saeed Nelson and seeing what he can do if he can go for 30 and 10 assists. You know Army's very experienced Tommy Funk and Matt Wilson been there for four years. Navy's just kind of in the middle of the pack. They're a snail, one of the slowest teams in the co- in the country, not only in the conference. We'll get to Loyola in a second because I think that's your sleeper because of it and a, a recent addition, but you also have an interesting team in Lafayette who I thought would be interesting because they beat Colgate twice inexplicably this year, but they lost probably their best player in Justin Jaworski for the season. Lucas Jarrett is also hurt. They host Loyola on Sunday and I'm thinking that we might get a juicy number uh, on Loyola to back them there. But let's start with the top of the conference. Do you see it clearly being Colgate as a favorite and do you think this is a team that can take that next step and potentially cause an upset in the first round of the tournament this year?
2: Yeah, I think you broke that down pretty even-handedly throughout. And when you start with Colgate, you look at you know, their prowess in three-point range. They make over 10 threes per game, which puts them in the top ten in the entire country. So they have a, a reliance on the three-point shot, obviously. But it's interesting because it's a conference where – Overall team size plays a, a big role. So to have a six foot ten, six foot eleven guy in uh, Rapalus, Ivanovskis he's really that difference maker for them. He's a transfer from Northwestern, a four star kid, and when he plays at the top of his game, he really gives them a, a different dimension, particularly defensively. He's
5: a good passer too. He, he
2: is. He has a real good feel for the game. He's not necessarily, you know, a traditional stretch four by any, you know, uh, stretch of the imagination. But it does give them a little bit of versatility, uh, both offensively and defensively. And aside from that game against Tennessee in the NCAA tournament. You also look, they have a win at Cincinnati this year. Now, it it wasn't quite as good as it would have been last year against the Cincinnati team that's in a bit of a a rebuild mode now that Nick Cronin uh, has moved on to UCLA. But I still view that as kind of indicative of what you're going to get from a Patriot League champion, and I do believe it's going to be Colgate. Because when you look back at the history of the conference in March Madness, they have some good moments. You know, they have Lehigh, they have Bucknell beating Kansas in 2005. You know, generally speaking, these teams – do very well in grinder games, you know, if they can play in the sixties and low seventies, I think they can put a scare in into a high seed, but I would love to talk about Loyola because not only have they, you know, really turned around their entire program since getting Santi Aldama into the, uh, into the fold, but, Beyond that, I think it kind of throws a monkey wrench into the Patriot League tournament because, as you mentioned, it is a conference where the higher seed gets home court advantage. So generally speaking, it's been shock, shock, shock. The last three years, the number one seed in the tournament has won. And interestingly, you know, I I would love to know the uh, the decision-making process that, that goes into this. They play four games, but they stretch it out over a week's time. So you're not looking for, you know, that Big East magical run of four wins in four days. So you would think that would open it up a little bit with a 10-team uh, conference tournament to have, you know, some of the lower seeds win, not having to play necessarily back-to-back. But it's only happened once since they expanded the 10 teams. so was Holy Cross uh, four years ago. So make, making a quick transition to Loyola, as I mentioned, Aldama just gives them something totally new. He's six foot 11. They like to run a lot of the offense through him at, you know, the, the top of the court, and he's someone who can, he can shoot. He gives them – really some interesting defensive chops inside because they've been getting eaten up on the offensive and defensive blast, ranking near the 300. But since he's come in six games ago, it's really kind of changed the dynamic for the Greyhound. And it all just depends on the number. I think you saw it the other night where they go off as a five and a half point favorite. They win that game by four. I think the market has now adjusted and I think it's going to be difficult to squeeze value out of them. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be valueless as it relates to winning the Pat League uh, Conference Tournament outright.
5: Yeah, and, and he's a highly touted recruit and, and very talented. I mean, this is not just a, a flash in the pad, and they've only lost one game since he came back. And I, I think that I had to bump them up even more even after last night, even though they didn't really cover well, depending on what number you had. But realistically they could they could make a run. And it is interesting that no one has pulled off an upset in the conference tournament because this is a conference with some of the smallest home court advantages as far as how I quantify them. I mean, like, Navy, I think, is dead last for home court advantage. I think they're at one and a half points. In contrast, you have some teams that are, you know, in altitude out west that are four and a half points, even closer to five with the Colorado. You know, they're smaller gyms. You're not traveling that far. So it is even more interesting. But I think Lafayette, it's a, it's a really interesting team. Lafayette can't beat Army, but they beat Colgate twice. But now without their best player, I, I don't see them – being a potential sleeper to win it. I mean, I think Loyola, as far as who could challenge Colgate, I think they're the team. And you mentioned that Colgate game against Cincinnati. If you haven't watched highlights, go YouTube that game because Cincinnati didn't know the score. And they It was tied, and they threw up a shot from like three-quarters court and with five seconds left, and then Colgate got the rebound. When they didn't – Cincinnati didn't need to, then they got fouled, and Colgate won. Yeah, I love that you mentioned the Bucknell upset over Kansas because – That's one of my favorite tournament history. Master Polo, Lee, McNaughton, that game was awesome. But if anyone, you're you're looking for value, say, in the conference tournament futures when that time comes, do you think that the value is going to be on a Loyola who could potentially challenge Colgate?
2: Basically, you know, because I'm a Loyola grad and we've had very little reason for optimism over the last 10 years, I'm trying to rein in a little bit and at least give it some guardrails. And and here's how I think about it. If they win out, there's a better than 50-50 shot that they can get that 6 seed, which puts them out of having to win four straight in the conference tournament. I think if they're in that 7-10 matchup and they have to, you know, win four in six days or whatever, you know, shakes out being this year, I think that may be too tall of an order. But if they can get that first round by, I really love the value in that spot. Obviously, depending on the number, but I, I really believe that they have, you know, the offensive firepower between Costecca and Algama to be able to get this done.
5: Yeah, I don't know when you graduated. I'm trying to remember the last really relevant Loyola team. I mean, I'm thinking back to some of those, like, uh, what was this, 15 years ago with Andre Collins.
2: Yeah, the, the last time they actually made the tournament under Jimmy Patzos, I want to say it was 2010, and they, they threw a spare into Ohio State. The, uh, they're playing out in the Pittsburgh pod as a 15 seed, playing at the number two Ohio State. I think we were within a possession in the second half, and then we got boat raced. But, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of incomplete teams, and really for a team and a, a program located in Baltimore, you think they'd be able to recruit locally better. They just haven't been able to do that. But it seems as though they're changing their fortunes. The assistant coach brings in, you know, this this kid from from Spain, actually to Golden Dyke as well. Another guy over 6'10". You, you need to go the international route as Gonzaga did when they were building their program up. I, I'm all for
5: it. Yeah, I'd like to see Loyola become more relevant. And uh, looks, it appears that they're headed in the right direction. Yeah, Maybe, you know, they can get that sixth seed and cause a miracle. But I, I think that... It's, I really want to see Colgate back in a tournament and see who they get matched up with. It's a really fun team to watch. It's not the most athletic team in the world. Burns is a super athletic point guard, but they move the ball well. It's a really experienced team that I think will learn a lot from last year, even without Ivanovskis for a half. So it'll be an interesting finish for the Patriot League. Uh, any spots you have circled for this weekend?
2: I think depending on the number, unless it's absolutely astronomical, I'm talking into the 20s, I like Colgate being able to, for all intents and purposes, wrap up uh, the Patriot League regular season title, just boat racing, Holy Cross. So that game's on Sunday. I'm going to keep an eye out for it, but anything under 16 or 17, I think this will be a neck crack game for them. They haven't played well in their last two. I think they'd like to get their mojo going um, before conference tournament time. So I like them in a game where they just absolutely outmatch Holy Cross in every way.
5: Yeah, Holy Cross is uh, one of the worst teams in all of college basketball. Bottom 10, for sure. Can't argue against fading them. All right, let's move on to the Big South. It's a really interesting conference, the Big South, where the high, the, the top seed hosts the semis and the quarters, so the number one seed, and then the highest remaining seed hosts the final. Uh, as of right now, it looks like the two clear favorites are Winthrop and Radford, who, interestingly enough, split on each other's home courts. Uh, again, a conference that doesn't have huge home court advantage, but Winthrop early in the year was a really interesting team to me because they won at St. Mary's a huge upset. They played Duke and East Tennessee state who both should be in uh, Duke. Obviously I think East Tennessee state will be in the tournament at large shot as well. They played both of them close, but they seem to be slipping a little of late. It's a really young team. They like to play up tempo. They also can't shoot free throws, which is something to note. And uh, they seem to be running pretty well from three on both sides in conference. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Radford, who is a very experienced team, unlike Winthrop. Carlick Jones, probably the best player in the conference, their point guard. Um, And, you know, they want to play really slow. One of the slowest teams in the conference, they'll they'll press you, slow you up. And then on offense, they just grind you down in the half-court game. So it's really two polar opposites at one on each other's home courts. And I think they're the two clear favorites in this conference. You know, there's other teams that, you know, you have, it's the Big South that could pull off upsets. You have players like Hampton who plays zero defense, wants to run. Yeah, UNC Asheville as well. They want to play really fast, but they are so young. They're basically all sophomores. Then you have Gardner-Webb who's out there. They won it last year, if you recall. And they played Virginia okay for, you know, a Virginia team that ended up going on to win the national title. Uh, but I think really it comes down to Radford and Winthrop Do you give either team a clear edge, or is there a sleeper in the conference that you want to touch on?
2: Well, I think the way that you break down uh, the 1 and 2, or in this case the 1A and 1B at the top of the Big South is correct. Winthrop, the foul shooting really concerns me because you figure they're at least going to pull one or maybe two difficult close games down the stretch in the Big South tournament. So to really consider that uh, an Achilles heel, I think back just the other night, uh, a team that I really like, and I think the Pelicans are going to hold back, that St. Louis team, they end up blowing a lead to UMass because UMass essentially flips into hack-a-shack mode, and they put Hassan French on the line. When, when you're that poor from the charity stripe, and teams know that, I think it's not only – a strategic disadvantage, but I also think it, it starts to become psychological. So and that's a little bit concerning for me. The other element of Winthrop is they really rely on the offensive glass. And what's interesting is they don't have a starter over six foot nine. So they do it from kind of a, a gang rebounding mentality. There's not a single player who's averaging in double digits. So they're not necessarily a, a team that I think just in a vacuum can fill it up. They need things to go right for them They need to be able to get those second chance points. And because of that, I think there's a a little bit more variation in their play. And that's why if I had to choose between these two, I I do like Radford. And it doesn't hurt that they have, you know, the conference player of the year, the presumptive conference player of the year and Carly Jones, you know, going for 25 and five a night. That's just a team in the Highlanders that I'm a little more comfortable with. But to answer your question directly in terms of sleepers, you touched on Hampton. I'm someone who has been following Hampton very closely this season because they've been so profitable at home. The, The only issue is... Is to say they don't play defense is an insult to regular teams that don't play defense. Uh- the matador nature of the way that they play is, is really kind of astounding to watch. Because you figure maybe they could just get more aggressive, get into passing lane, give up easy looks, but maybe create more turnovers. They just they seemed fully disinterested in playing defense. And then on the offensive end, so much of what they do relies on getting to the foul line and being aggressive. And that's Ben Stanley and Jermaine Morrow. But when they're they're up against an officiating crew that's not interested in blowing the, the whistle on every piece of contact, they, they really go into a shell offensively two games ago, scoring only 40 Nine points. So Hampton's a fun team when they're at home. The fact that they're going to have to go on the road in the conference tournament, I think that precludes them. The other team that I had circled until about halfway through January was Charleston Southern. Flanders, Fleming Jr. and Don Charles Shuler were both averaging close to 18 points a game. It looked like they had that one-two punch that was going to potentially put them in the race. Schuler he's in the transfer portal now. So going back over it, you know, basically scratching them out, I think it, it kind of tightens up who I, I think has the chops to be able to put this together. So really, I don't see a whole lot of value further down the board in this particular conference.
5: Yeah, I mean, one interesting team is Gardner-Webb. I mean, they just beat Winthrop at home. They've won three straight. They have also lost three conference games in overtime, one in overtime, the Longwood, one in double overtime, the Charleston Southern, and one in triple overtime at Winthrop. So it's a team that beat Winthrop, And then, you know, at home and then lost to Winthrop in triple overtime on the road. They lost a close game at home to Radford as well. But there's a big but here is their best player, Jose Perez, has stepped away from the game for personal reasons. I don't know if and when he's coming back, but uh, the Gardner-Webb has shown that they can at least play with the top teams in the conference and maybe can pull off and upset, especially if their threes are dropping. Any thoughts on the running Bulldogs?
2: When it comes to Gardner Webb, I, I agree. I think if Perez isn't there, they're going to lose their bite. But it is interesting, you know, to be able to, to count one of the best, you know, upset wins of the entire season on their resume. But honestly, I feel like if I play this as opposed to playing Radford, whatever their odds they go off at to win the Big South tournament, I may just play them on the money line every game throughout and roll it together. And I think that's going to probably present uh, better value. Just, I, I think the casual gambler just doesn't have the kind of the the discipline or also, you know, just the the long-term view to do something like that. But I I think it'll end up presenting more value than if I take them at five to two or whatever they end up going off at. And this is a team that since mid-December is 12 and two straight up. So, you know, barring a a total meltdown or a player being dismissed entering the transfer portal or injury, um, I think that's how I'm going to end up playing this, this conference.
5: Yeah, I agree with you. I think with Jones and the experience uh, of Radford, I think that that's going to get it done. And then the free throw shooting for Winthrop is going to end up costing. Um, all right, let's move on to the last conference that we want to talk about today. And this is a conference I can't figure out. What What is the the Churchill quote about Russia? The famous, uh, it's a riddle wrapped in an enigma or wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. That is what the Big West is to me. And there's nine teams in the conference. The top eight make the postseason and they play in the conference tournament. And as of right now, I don't know who those eight are going to be because if you look at the standings, the second place team is six and five and the ninth place team is four and seven. So six second through ninth place are all within two games. And then you have UC Irvine who's in first place at 10 and two UC Irvine under Russell Turner. Again, elite two point defense. They lead the nation in two-point defense. They defend the rim as well as anyone in the country. If you recall last year in the first round, they upset Kansas State. And they were just again, once again, elite defense. I think they missed Max Hazard a lot for, for some offensive firepower who transferred to Arizona. But this is still, I think, the most well-rounded team in the conference by far. I don't even they might have the one seed already locked up. The conference tournament will be played in Anaheim at the Honda Center. The team that I expected to be better uh, is UCSB and, you know, they just with, you know, Heidegger can go for 30 or 40 every night. And I know that he missed some time. Um, But I really like the roster coming into this year. And then they just have so many questionable results that leave me with my head, leave me scratching my head. Uh, So the conference is really tough to figure out. I think everyone would agree that Irvine is the best team. Uh, But what do you, Make some sense of this mess.
2: Yeah, I think it's helpful that that Irvine is that anchor for the entire conference. At least you know know, who the number one team is and exactly the kind of brand of basketball that they like to play. When you look back at that upset win over K-State, yes, they don't quite have the same playmakers on offense, but they still have the difficult zone to, to diagnose and to pick apart. And I think if they end up drawing a team during March Madness that isn't surgical, that doesn't rely, have a solid percentage of assists to made baskets, and they're looking to, you know, just get into a jump shooting battle, I think they could be in line for another upset. Yeah, they, they just force you into so many
5: and, bad and shots, if, if, especially if you're not an elite offensive team. Absolutely. And and I think what's interesting in terms of the Big
2: West Conference tournament is that realistically, is there a team that can take them out of the brand of basketball and tempo that they want to play? And it's difficult for me to back this squad because I have watched about six or seven of their games, the majority of which at the Matadome, which is, you know, I wouldn't say a sizable home court advantage, but they seem to play better there. And certainly... Cal State Northridge has played better since Lamine Jene has returned. He either had some academic issues. I don't don't know necessarily they ever came out and said officially why he missed almost their entirety of their non-conference slate. But since he's been back, I mean, the kid should be an All-American. He's he's averaging 26 and 10. When you watch him play, it looks like, you know, that time on the bench, he just probably was in the gym working on his three-point shot because he's added a little of that element to his game. And in his absence, Terrell Gomez was forced to shoulder the offensive load. So now that they're back together, this is a team that has no problem playing in the 80s and 90s at times. They still don't defend very much. Like, oh, they don't defend at all. I wouldn't say they're at the Hampton level. I would, I would say though, they just really don't understand how to close games. They make some interesting choices in tempo you know, if, if there were such thing as, you know, a four minute offense, they really don't know how to run out of the clock down the stretch. So it's a team that I'll probably back at the right number, but it, uh, the, probably the odds of them losing in the first round should be about the same as them reaching the big West championship game.
5: Yeah. I mean, th- this is a team that just lost 110 to 98. I think it was in regulation, right? And 110 to 98 to UC Davis and UC Davis is a, as a Good offense, but not that good, and they're they're shooting out of their heads. I don't know if they can keep this up, but yeah, they lost one hundred and ten to ninety eight. But you're right. I mean, their their offense is a lot better now, but that defense is still just completely non-existent.
2: It's interesting to me that with the kind of experience that you have on the bench for Cal State Northridge, between you know Godfrey being their head coach. We actually have Jim Herrick. I, I did like a full on double, triple take when I saw him because his grandson plays on the team as well. You think they'd be able to get together and say, Let, let's play a different kind of zone. Let's maybe go with some full court press, mix it up. At this point, what do you have to lose? Everything they've been rolling out defensively has not stopped anyone. And it seems as though every single team they're playing, they're having historic nights. And really the, the home and away splits are also awful. With Janae back in the lineup, they're 8-6, but they're 2-4 and four on the road in conference. So to be able to look at them to, to win some mean games, potentially high-scoring games where they need to get a key stop here or there down the stretch. I, I don't know if I see it, but it's hard to pass up the value because, as you mentioned, with that, that log jam in the middle of the standings, they could come in as the lowest-ranked team in the Big West tournament seeding. So if they're priced accurate to that as opposed to their overall offensive skill, maybe there's some value there. you be looking to the back this, this
5: weekend against UC Irvine?
2: This, to me, is more of a preview for the main attraction. I want to see how they handle a defense that, you know, when you look at UC Irvine, they also have a road win this year against Boise State, who was a high scoring offense. I think they held them to 60 points. They can really gum up the works. So if Cal State Northridge isn't able to crack, let's say, 75 points, then I, I think I'm ripping up any potential long shot play that I would have for them to win the, the Commerce Tournament because you have to assume it's got to run through UC Irvine.
5: Yeah, they played UC Irvine tough at home last year in a game that they lost 74 to 68 but Northridge led that game oh man 49-31 in the second half and just gave up an enormous run at the end of the game and ended up losing 74 to 68 so I'm sure that'll be on their minds this is their first meeting this year yeah i might look to see what kind of number we can get because the defense is scary but you're right the offense is playing A lot better as of now. Uh, Of the three conferences that we mentioned, any spots that you want to highlight for Saturday that we didn't touch on?
2: I'm glad you brought up uh, Cal State Northridge on Saturday night. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how they play in that spot. Uh, Hampton over Gardner-Webb was the last one that was on my mind. You know, this is a game that got suspended, their first matchup at clock management kind of issue where they couldn't get the shot clock working, something like that. So now they're going to play two games in about six days. But as I mentioned earlier, Hampton is just a little bit different at home offensively. I think the officiating generally skews to sending them to the line with regularity. Um, So I'm going to like Hampton to win that game outright.
5: Fair enough. Yeah, and Hampton actually has a a pretty decent home court advantage per my numbers, and and you're catching a Gardner Webb team off of a win over Winthrop, and I assume check the status of Jose Perez. But for everything that I've seen, I don't think that he'll be back. All right, so that is Mike Calabrese. Calabrese, however, Calabrese, however you want to say it, our college basketball small conferences expert will be. Continue to contribute on ActionNetwork.com and the app, so make sure you check out his stuff there. Thanks for joining us, Mike, and uh, good luck this weekend and throughout the rest of this season. Take care. All right, let's move on to the weekend. We'll start with Friday Night Lights.
1: Why let football have all the fun? Let's bet Friday Night Lights.
5: I'll start. I have St. Louis circled. I mean, this VCU team, I think that was their last gasp. St. Louis, one of the toughest places to play uh, in the country, they have one of the highest home court advantages per my rankings. And uh, on a Friday night there, 9 o'clock ESPN2 game, uh, St. Louis, I think, can win this game. VCU's not right. Evans is not right. I'm, I don't think he's fully healthy. So I'll be looking at St. Louis here at home. I don't know if there's much else that jumped out to me initially. Friday, Anything on Friday night, Randall, that you had circled?
3: Yeah, I agree with you on St. Louis completely. I got three other ones. Number one, Iona's only 7-14-1 against the spread, but they've covered four of their last five, and they missed the other cover at home against Maris by a half point, depending on the number that you got. So I definitely am going to look at them. I I think they're live. They end up hosting Ryder at home. Ken Palm has it at one they already won by three at Ryder early January and Broncos have lost four of their last five road games in the Mac. So yeah, Iona is when I like look stuck. I know it's your favorite Merrimack. They're laying a small number at home to Sacred Heart who they already beat away in January by eight. They have a one game lead in the NEC race over St. Francis and Robert Morris. This can't, they can't be in the tournament. We talked about that. So this is their entire focus. So uh, they get 10 steals per game. That's fourth in the country. There's not going to be a letdown spot here. I'm looking at them and listen, I'm tempted to keep riding St. Peter's until they burn me. Eighth best record versus the spread at 17-7. and seven, won three, They've covered three in a row, six to seven. They're going to be a small dog at Manhattan, and they need to keep pace with CN at the top of the conference. So looking at those small schools there, I think they're all alive.
4: I got two dirty ones for you on Friday. First, Marist is the second best three-point shooting team in the Metro Atlantic, and they rank second in point distribution from three, and Monmouth is the worst in perimeter defense, allowing 38.2% of shots to fall from beyond the arc. Should be about a plus four on Marist, but you got to look out for for Braden Bell. He's a transfer in from Ranger College in Texas. He's 96 nationally in three-point percentage, and he keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter for Marist. Uh, You know, the third best conference in in shooting threes, and I think they're going to take advantage of Monmouth. The other one is let's go to the horizon. I mean, you got to keep your eyes open for the Detroit line. Uh, They lost their last two games by a combined five points. They're still playing hard. Uh, Just lost a horrid. They lost to a horrid Cleveland State game, uh, Cleveland State team at home. Uh, They lost at Green Bay by just three earlier this year. They don't foul much and Green Bay lives at the line. They have to get to the free throw line. That's where they get all of their points. And conversely, Detroit is the best free throw shooting team in the horizon. And Green Bay sends teams to to the foul line all the time. Most of any team in the horizon and that should keep Detroit alive because they hit their free throws, so I'm looking at Detroit
5: and Marist on Friday night. All right, let's move on to Saturday. uh the two big games on the docket uh we we can touch on quickly Baylor, Kansas, I think is at noon, which I hate, uh, and then the night tap will be. Gonzaga, BYU. Look, I make Gonzaga, BYU a pick, so I'm hoping to get some points with BYU. The one thing that does scare me, and I'm sitting here on Santa Clara. I figured that BYU would be already basically in Saturday in the weekend. BYU is two of twelve from three, which I like because there's no way. I know everyone can shoot it. Childs is a is a monster inside. He draws attention and then he can kick it out, and everyone on that BYU team can shoot. But this is a, they're shooting. from three conference play. Um, So, I mean, I know they're number one in the nation at 42%, but 46% in conference play. So it's nice to see a little regression um, here tonight against Santa Clara before Saturday night because it's a spot pro. It'll be jumping. Um, And, you know, the Gonzaga, I mean, look, I, I have Gonzaga right now number two team in the country, but the defense is not... Elite. The offense is. I mean, the offense is is scary. Good. Um, But this is a defense that can be got. And then in regards to Baylor, Kansas, you got to keep an eye on Teague and whether or not he plays. It's a great situational spot for Kansas. And look, I mean, am I going to fade Baylor again? I don't know. I mean, I think Kansas is the best team in the country. By a couple points, um, I hope I'm catching a point or two here. I've, I make Kansas a favorite. But I, I still think Baylor is vulnerable to bigs inside. Azubuki, if he could stay out of foul trouble, should have a big day. This is a much better Kansas team than the first time that they played Baylor. Uh, any thoughts on those two games before we get to some spots we had circled? Randall?
3: I've said it all year long. I thought Gonzaga is going to lose at BYU in this game. I think it's the matchup that can cause them problems. I have seen this team at home, Gonzaga, when they ran the table that year and they just had a win home at senior night against BYU. They did not. I've seen them lose at home to St. Mary's with Jock Lindell inside when there's a big Tilly's always hurt. I think he's playing tonight, but he's limited. So this is the spot. They shoot the three well. Gonzaga is vulnerable. I have said the entire year – that Gonzaga is going to lose this game, so I'm sticking to it. Kansas, I have bought into them, especially on the road. You go look at their road games this year in the Big 12. They've covered every single one, and it hasn't been close. It's why I like them at West Virginia. And I'm sitting there as West Virginia is getting up, and I'm just waiting for Kansas to make their run. They're very live on the road. There's some regression coming from Baylor. They've had a fantastic season. They're a great team. But like you said, Teague is hampered, and there's something about this Kansas team on the road here that's tough. The key to both games, of course, Childs as a Buki, they stay out of foul trouble. I like both of those teams.
4: Yeah, for me, I mean, Gonzaga's best chance to lose until a tournament is is this game right here against BYU. The Cougars are first in point distribution and shooting percentage from three. And unlike St. Mary's, I mean, we said this on the podcast, St. Mary's does not have the size to hang around with Gonzaga, but BYU has some size. So they're going to be able to have a little bit of an advantage there because Gonzaga is basically a skyscraper of a team. The problem is BYU is ninth in the conference in offensive rebounding percentage, so they better be hot shooting because they're not going to get the ball back after they give it a release. Zags will wipe the boards clean on both sides of the court. I'm not going to have an investment on this game, but yes, this is the best chance for Gonzaga to go down. Baylor-Kansas perspective. Kansas out-rebounded Baylor in the first matchup and had almost half the personal fouls of Baylor, but they still lost by 12 because of poor shooting uh, and a whopping 14-to-5 ratio in the turnover market. They just could not protect the ball whatsoever against Baylor. Uh, I'm expecting the market to probably back Kansas and fade Baylor. It seems like it's a great thing to to fade Baylor and it never pays off. So maybe I'll just go swim with the public and, and and hang out on, on Baylor this weekend. haven't really made a decision which way I'm going with that, but I mean, Kansas just couldn't, couldn't do anything with the ball
5: when they had it in their possession last time. We'll see, but let's get to the spots that we have circled for Saturday.
1: So many games, so little time. Let's look at the Saturday slate.
5: I'll start. I think I love this Kentucky team. I think that they're on an upswing and and really dangerous in March. And I root for them here because of my girl and who manages a a couple bars here and obviously all of my friends here and family. So I'm a big Kentucky fan. But this think about everyone talking about Kentucky right now. This is kind of the peak and when you want to sell them this weekend against a Florida team that looks like it's on. You know, everyone was like, ah, this Florida team stinks, but they're just playing a little better right now. You might get an inflated number on Florida. Uh, Randall, what do you got?
3: Yeah, is hot right now, and they're traveling to Xavier, and that's going to be a small line, if that. I like Villanova on the road. Xavier is going to struggle there defensively. They're also going to struggle to score. Villanova is just playing so well at this point. They play Temple was close. Second half, they blew him out. Uh, they're really shooting the ball well. They're spreading the ball well. Jay Wright has not peaking at the right time. So I'm eyeing Villanova because I think it's going to be a small line. I think Villanova gets a comfortable win.
4: Yeah, that's interesting because I had that game in my notes, so I'll pivot to that. Xavier's the best perimeter defense in the Big East. Their offensive bread and butter is two-point shooting and offensive rebounding. And, I mean, Nova is the best defensive rebounding team in the conference, uh, you know, like Xavier. But I I think anybody getting two points in this game deserves a look. I think it's going to be a very close game. And if you can get some steam to two, two and a half, three, I, I think it's worth it on a dog in this one.
5: Uh, Something else I've circled. Maybe Memphis. Maybe this is the time you go to Memphis. And Memphis has been a mess. I mean, their defense is elite and the Chua is awesome, but their, their offense is just eh. I make this Memphis catching two and, you know, with Grimes out. Memphis is I, I you know they're I think what are they? Are they on the bubble, Randall, you would know Is Memphis on the bubble technically. Yeah, they're, they're
3: right on the bubble. They're yeah. at the bottom there because I mean, and again, the,
5: the committee always analyzes them
3: with or without the player. So they're going to throw a lot of those games out at the beginning of the year or devalue them because there's no Wiseman.
5: This is the chance that I think Memphis can get a big signature win at home. I, I mean, because it looks like I think Grimes is announced out for Houston and I think he means a ton to that team. Also Michigan, they're still, I know they got the win at Rutgers, but this team is still, to me, it's, it's just not right without livers, uh, offensively and Purdue at home. We've seen what they can do. This is a huge spot for Purdue who should have beat Michigan at Michigan. I think they lost in double overtime, uh, in their first meeting. So I'll, I'll have Purdue circled as well. Randall, what do you got next?
3: Nevada has been on fire Uh, Steve Alford really has this team humming. And by the way, they play San Diego State at home last game of the regular season. They're going to play a Fresno team that is just not showing up anymore. And they had Jazz Johnson out for a while, which allowed Jalen Harris. Jalen Harris,
5: man. I've been bumping Nevada consistently because he's just a a superstar.
3: Totally true. He's dropped 30 a couple times. He's averaging 21. Jazz Johnson's at 16. Lindsey Drew gives them 11, six rebounds, four assists. Sort of like a bat lever triple-double guy for you old school guys out. Out there but they all shoot it well from three 39 37 percent, 42 percent. especially at home they're flammable I think Fresno's way in over their head so I'm going to grab this line as soon as it comes out because Nevada's hot and wouldn't it be ironic if they snuck up there on San Diego State and beat them on that last uh, game in the in the regular season Mountain West
5: yeah Jalen Harrison interesting pro prospect uh here's his last 11 games points 31 Uh, 20, 19, 28, 19, 31, 30, 38, 32, 29, and 26. Kid's a player. Colin, what do you got next? Circled with a huge fat Sharpie.
4: Teams Tennessee has beaten on the road. Vanderbilt, Missouri, Alabama by one. Auburn returns home after an expected two-game losing streak that we all thought that the gas is going to run out of the tank. They go, they go on the road, they lose two expected. They come home now. Tennessee can't do much on the road. I have Auburn definitely uh, circled this weekend.
5: Another one I'll mention. Look, this is ugly, but no one in the right mind wants to bet to Paul right now. And <laughs> I mean, what they lost, I lost 90- money on him the other night. <laughs> I lost money their last. I, I had him against Georgetown a couple Saturdays ago, and they covered. And again, they easily could have won. But, you know, the last two games, they lost to the Creighton by 30 and then to the Villanova by 20. And again, they, were, they felt like they were down 50 in that game. Uh, but in that, you know, against Creighton, Creighton shot 13 of 26 from three. And against Villanova, Villanova shot 18 of 26 from three. So the last two games, their opposition have shot 31 of 52 from three. That's ridiculous. People forget that still DePaul was competitive in a lot of their, their losses. Now they're getting a Georgetown team, that I I think is just going to fade down the stretch. They lost their home to Providence. It looks like McClung is probably done. Um, And, you know, it's a team that just doesn't have much depth because of all the turnover on the roster this year, Uh, suspensions and kids going into the transfer portal. Uh, I don't know the status of Yurtsevin. He hasn't played the last two games. But from things that I've heard from Ewing, I'm not sure that McClung is going to play again this year so uh, I think DePaul ends their losing streak and he might be catching uh, a couple points after these last two games. Assuming Georgetown is at full strength uh, I have it as a true pick so if Georgetown's not at full strength I I would make it DePaul you know McClung's out a couple point favorite so I I might be backing DePaul. Randall anything else? (laughs)
3: Last one for me I like Tulsa probably more than most. They're coming off a horrific loss to Houston at home. Technical fouls. People getting in trouble. They were getting blown out there back and forth. I like them coming home against SMU. Second game on the road for SMU. Doesn't play defense here. Tulsa has been very strong at home. We know that. The kid hit the shot there at the buzzer. They did lose to UConn at home but Rochelle was injured in that game. He was hampered and then UConn made like 10 or 11 threes. So that was rare. I like a big bounce back here for Tulsa at home against SMU. That line's going to be small because of the Houston blowout. Probably could be three or something like that. I'll grab that right away. I I think Tulsa is a good matchup. They're hard for teams there. I think they're going to make some noise in the tournament and people are going to get off their scent because of the Houston blowout. So I like them against SMU.
5: Con, anything else from you? Yeah, last one
4: for me. Spoke a month ago about Marquette uh, and the fact that this is a team that could run out of gas like they did last year it's respectable to have a loss at Villanova. I mean, just by one point, but Creighton (laughs) blew the doors off of, I mean, one, you know, they lost at home to Creighton, uh, by a Creighton shot lights out. Marcus Howard has not shot above
5: 50% since mid January. So I think think his nose and like, he's just being, you know, with his nose, it just, he doesn't, Seem right. I,
4: I had this whole Marquette thing circled for about this time of the year for them to run out of gas, and and I think this Providence maybe if we can get a you know three points on Providence, oh I'll I'll scoop it and take it and run with it all day.
3: That's you know that's a great point there because that Marquette team. I went out to Milwaukee last year for that game. Terrible loss to Georgetown when they could have won the Big East title. Just terrible. The fans were ticked off. They're doing the fade again as usual. Yep. And yeah, I think it's a great spot.
5: Might have to look Butler uh, against Creighton. Uh, It's a team I I think matches up pretty well because they have great perimeter defenders. Uh, You know, Butler's reeling here. They've lost two straight, but they were really competitive against Seton Hall. Uh, After what Creighton has done lately, um, you might get a little inflated line here. Uh, It'll be interesting to see. Uh, But that'll wrap everything up for us. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, Randall. Uh, thanks, Mike Calabrese, uh, for joining me earlier. Good luck to everyone this weekend. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, leave a review. That really helps us. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. And uh, look, we—I mentioned the Kobe Bryant thing a couple weeks ago. One of the th- you know the few good things that comes out of a you know very public death is that it reminds everyone to reach out to their loved ones and people that they you know really care about. And uh, it really reminds everyone of the fragility of life, but people lose loved ones every single day. And uh, I don't think that we should lose sight of that. I've lost two people that were close to me within the past week, which is uh, why well, you might've seen me be a little more quiet than usual on uh, Twitter. So just want to throw that out there again, reach out to people that you love. Make the phone call that you've been putting off and uh, don't sweat the small stuff. Thanks again for listening and uh, we'll catch you all next week. Cheers. Peace out.
1: We're finished talking.